Hi, and welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. And can we tell you, we are on like hour four, five, ten, I don't know, (laughs) of recording this episode. Y'all, we are super excited to be here because it almost didn't happen. We've literally never been more excited to actually record the episode. We showed up this morning, we were all ready, and we had an equipment failure. Like, inexplicably. Oh, yeah. We still can't really identify why the equipment was failing. Anyway, it's been a day of back and forth to Best Buy and trying different things, and we I think we got it figured out. Mm-hmm. But if we sound a little different this week, it's because we are on all new equipment. Which is kind of exciting. It's super exciting. And, you know, problem solving is kind of our thing, but also... What a day. <laughs> Can I tell them what my favorite potential feature with this new equipment is? Yeah. There's an option where we can use batteries instead of being plugged in. So, like, someday when we actually travel and leave this building, we could record somewhere else and it wouldn't be a huge fiasco. Like, we could talk to a sheep in a field. Like, we could be outside somewhere. (laughs) We're going to go live to Jessica interviewing a sheep in a field. Given the chance, I would do it. (laughs) It's going to be good. So we have a treat for you all today. We sure do. Today, we are going to be talking about marling. Love it. So marling is two different things, right? It is a technique. It's something you can create as you're knitting. And it's also something that is done for you as part of the creation of the yarn that you're working with. There is marled technique. There's marled yarn. We're going to talk about both. So Jessica, tell us about the technique of marling. Okay. So marling, I'm just going to make a broad statement here before we jump into the technique. Marling is the visual effect of having either different plies of yarn or different strands of yarn held together that are not the same color so that you have this like interesting kind of not solid wall of color. (laughs) You know, your piece of fabric that you're creating is dimensional and it might be kind of subtle, low contrast marling, or it could be really high contrast and funky and bright and exciting. But you can buy yarn that way or you can do it yourself. And right now I'm going to talk about technique. So it's not complicated at all. If you have ever knit something holding two strands of yarn together that perhaps were the same color, say you were making one of the amazing patterns that has come out in the past few years that holds together fingering weight with lace weight, so you have like fuzzy halo, or you've got some fingering weight yarn that you want to use in a DK weight pattern, so you hold your strands double, that is like the physical act that you need to master to be able to create a marled fabric with the yarn that you choose. But you're using different colors. Your strands are not the same color, and that is what creates the marled effect. Sure. You might be familiar with a sort of marled visual in fade projects. I think particularly at like smaller gauge. So like you're knitting something with like fingering weight yarn and you're alternating rows to get that faded effect. And it's really similar to marling there. Like if you're using a super bulky, I think that the colors are going to be more distinct in the stitches because you're not holding them together and they're not as close to each other. But it's that kind of like similar like blending of different colors that goes on. We did a knit along a couple of years ago that was Park Williams's Roy G. Biv. 
where in order to create the bulky yarn you were using, you know, some combination of things. It was like worsted plus fingering or DK plus fingering plus lace or whatever. Holding those strands together or in the pinguono that we just did. Oh yeah, so much. Yeah, anytime that you are holding strands together with other strands, you are marling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's fun because it can be specified by the pattern designer, right? Like this could be a project that is intentionally designed to have marling happening in it. But you are the boss of your knitting. So if there is a sweater or some other garment that you want to knit and you want to change the aesthetic from how the pattern is featuring this thing, so like the samples that you see knit, you want your thing to look different than that, you could employ a marling technique to make it really unique and individual to you. And it's super easy because you don't need to do any construction changes. Like there's no math involved. You're not altering the shape or size of the thing. You're just choosing yarn differently and get engaged. And you have a very different visual effect than something that's knit in a single color. So it can be a really interesting way to add. It's not texture, but it's like visual it's visual texture. Depth of field. Yeah, like color texture. So Karen just mentioned the Roigi Biv and the Penguono, and that's a good indicator for all of you that this is a great technique to have in your back pocket if you have some stash busting on your horizon. Oh yeah. If you want to use up a bunch of yarn kind of quickly, marling is a great way to do that. You can take your lightweight skeins and create a heavier weight yarn by combining them and just kind of like power through a project and create really cool visual effects. There are also, if you look through Instagram or Ravelry projects, you'll find lots of blankets that are marled as well. Oh, sure. And you kind of don't need a pattern at all for that. You just choose your yarns and cast on and start knitting. You could do like a giant garter stitch blanket and all of the exciting, interesting things that will be happening aren't from your stitches necessarily. It's from your color combinations. So it's a really fun kind of like low stakes way to play with experimenting with color. Well, and one of the things that's a little bit neat about that. So if you ever knit one of the fade projects, you know that when you look at it closely, it can only ever really fade so much. Like if you back up, you kind of see that, you know, if you are shifting from gray to blue, right, you'll see that it's gray and then it sort of becomes increasingly blue and then decreasingly gray and then all blue. But if you're like right up close to it, you can see, oh, here's a row of gray. Here's a row of blue. Here's a row of gray. Marling, especially if you're marling more than two strands at a time and you're sort of changing, you're like swapping out the strands at different times, lets you get that slow shifting effect in a way that is subtle and not possible really with any other technique. Mm -hmm. It's differentiating from like micro striping, which is kind of what fades are. Yes. You know, it's two rows of this and one row of that and three rows of another. Like this is just you're pulling all of those colors in together at once to create this blending. And it's really neat. Yeah. And it's fun and it's super accessible. Like very beginner level knitters can marl things and it's nothing to stress about because you're just doing regular knit and pearls. Right. Like Jessica was saying, it's great for stash busting. It's great for bringing in colors that you don't necessarily think. I know we kind of come back to this fairly frequently, but this idea that colors either do or don't go together. 
fake. Very fake. So fake. The fakest thing, right? But when we were talking to the two women from Warm the Line and they were saying, I think it was Franklin Habit's suggestion that like if you're somebody who just wears a lot of purple, but you want to start wearing green, marl in some green with your purple and slowly start like introducing it to your wardrobe that way, right? Just like work those colors in by sticking them with the colors that you already feel comfortable with. That's right. And specifically, if you want to use purple and green, you'll get to be like a villain from a superhero (laughs) movie. So this is Scarlet's new thing. She's decided that purple and green. Scarlet is eight, nine. Oh my gosh, how old is that kid? Nine will be 10 in September. Yeah. So Scarlet is nine and is full of a whole lot of wisdom about a lot of things. And, you know, sometimes just does that thing where she's like, I want to talk to you about something. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh. And then the thing she'll say will be something like, why are green and purple always villain colors? And it's my favorite. (laughs) Because green and purple are a great combination. Look gorgeous, marled, and definitely can be villain colors. Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So technique-wise, marling is easy peasy. Um. Okay. Except. Oh. Strand except what? management. What if you're marling like three or four strands of yarn together? What do you do? How do you handle all the string? Well, some of us have a more. <laughs> tenuous relationship with multiple strands of yarn Jessica, and others. how do I handle all the string? <laughs> you just have to find a place to put the yarn. <laughs> so some people like to individually bag their skeins. Like you might have a little lunch Ziploc baggie that you put each ball of yarn in so that they're not um, kind of collapsing in your larger project bag and getting tangled there as you work from them. Other people like to use the pockets of a project bag or like a series of smaller ones, like little drawstring bags. You could use a yarn bowl that has like a little keyhole to like thread the strands through. There are also things like, I don't know what they're called. They're like yarn cozies. Like some people will make homemade ones out of like a snipped pair of tights. So it's like a little like stretchy sock that goes around your skein of yarn, your wound up ball of yarn. The best ones of those I've seen also have a bottom to them. Because mm-hmm. at, a, at a certain point, right, if you have like a sheep squeezer, if you have a, <laughs> a sheep squeezer, I, I think I've seen like on Etsy, that's what people call them. Cute. But, you know, if you picture like the tube part of a tube sock hugging the outside of your little yarn cake, right? Mm-hmm. Your cake gets smaller as you knit with it, and at a certain point, it would probably just fall out the bottom, except for the people who are really smart, and they put a bottom on their tube. Yeah. So, like, for example, if you use tights, you just shove it down into the toe and, like, just use the foot part of it so it's got a built-in bottom. Or you could tie it in a knot if you've already cut up that pair of tights or whatever. (laughs) Some sort of closure. There's also like the Cocoa Knits mesh bags that have the little snaps that let you kind of create those openings. Those are so handy. They they really are. Mm -hmm. So we just recently got in the Artifact totes. First of all, this company is amazing. So they're based in Omaha and they do these really gorgeous, beautiful bags and then like aprons and all kinds of really neat stuff. They're a really fantastic company. But they make these tote bags that are specifically for knitters, and they have grommets built into the sides. They're gorgeous. Karen and I each got ourselves one when we started carrying them. And like every time we get them into the shop, we can't keep them in stock. We just got a new shipment in 
And they're just fantastic, like super sturdy, great for like knitting in the park and dragging all of your projects around with you. They're lovely. The only thing about the kind of bags that have the grommets or some kinds of yarn bowls and things like that that have a hole rather than like a notch is that once you've put your yarn and threaded it through the grommet or the hole or whatever and then cast on your project, you are married to that bag or that bowl until you, you know, maybe not finish your project, but at least decide that you're going to cut your yarn. And sometimes that's good. And sometimes you're like, oh, no. So like, just know that before you do it. Mm -hmm. It's not the end of the world, but it's definitely something to keep in mind. So you're not like, why am I stuck in my bag? It's so funny because I remember when I was first knitting like big projects, I would have done anything to avoid having extra ends to weave in. If I broke my yarn, it felt like the end of the world. Now I'm like, it's a knot snap the yarn like it you know it's not that big a deal if you have to cut it yeah there's also the technique i think we mentioned this in the color work episode also where you can remember with your brain that you're turning your work like let's say counterclockwise and then the next time you turn it clockwise and then you turn it counterclockwise and so you're sort of putting half of a twist into your skeins or into your strings rather and then undoing that twist that depends heavily on your ability to remember to do that. It's just an option. I've definitely tried that and it works for a while until it stops working. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you listen to the color work episode, we definitely spent some time talking about like your dominant color and your secondary color, like yeah. how you carry them. When you're marling, that's not an issue. Right. It doesn't matter. Like you want to not be tangled in your working yarn, but like you don't have to control where those strands are in your hand. It's not going to change the effect. You want them to be like twisting around each other. So that's okay. Yeah. It's part of the interest, the visual interest. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't tried it before, it's fun. It's exciting to see what colors will show up next. Is there any yarn that will do the work for you? There are yarns that do the work for you. <laughs> so Marling originally, I think, I'm going to make a bold statement here, came from hand spinners. Like this technique of, I mean, everything came from hand spinners first. Right, I was first. going to say yarn came from hand spinners, Jessica. <laughs> sure did. So, but that's probably where you encountered it if you've been knitting for, I don't know, more than like 15 years. Right. You probably were familiar with marled yarns as something that you saw coming from hand spinners before you ever saw a commercial version of it coming from like big milling equipment. Mm -hmm. And you still like if you go to a fiber festival, when those things happen, it's glorious. You can see people spinning and plying yarn there. And you'll see lots of beautiful hand spun skeins that have some are really consistent and some are thick and thin, but they oftentimes will have different color plies and it's a beautiful visual effect. Sometimes those color changes are really long and gradual. Sometimes they're quicker. Sometimes there are only two colors involved and they're consistent throughout the skein. And if you are a spinner, it's something that you maybe have done yourself. Now, today, there are, <laughs> current, current timeline, there are a number of places producing marled yarn that is not being hand spun. It's milled on equipment and it's beautiful. So we have a number of marled yarns in the shop. We work with Spin Cycle and Dyed in the Wool is marled, Dream State is marled, 
And verses is marled. Right. Dyed in the wool and dream state have similar effects, but verses is a whole different beast that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the difference, well, besides the weight, like with dyed in the wool and dream state, I think dream state has an extra ply. Oh, yeah. But those colors change a lot throughout the skein for most of the colorways. With verses, it's a color plied with a gray strand, and it's consistent throughout the skein. So there's no like color shifting. You're not going from like green to pink to red or something. It's going to be a green strand and a gray strand or a black strand and a gray strand or whatever the color combination is. And they make really awesome, interesting textural looking fabrics without the work of creating textured stitches. Brooklyn Tweed also has some marled yarns. Yes. On their shelter and their loft base in particular. Like there are colorways like Narwhal and Newsprint, where you've got two different colors. So, like the spin cycle verses, there's no color change going on. It's just the two plies that are individual colors. I always lose track of which Brooklyn Tweed bases are milled in New Hampshire and which are not, but I'm going to say that the, I'm going to say something and you tell me if I'm wrong. I'm going to say that the bases that have the marled colorways are the ones that are not milled in New Hampshire. Is that true? No. Shelter is milled in New Hampshire. Okay. See, I don't know. And Loft is milled in New Hampshire, but like Peary That's right. Okay. The other way around then. Okay, cool. Yep. So- Harrisville in New Hampshire mills those bases for Brooklyn Tweed, where there are a couple of different colorways that are marled. Excitingly, Harrisville also mills another yarn that is marled. I'm so excited about this. I'm excited too. So two years ago, I think, 2019, Mm -hmm. a year and a half ago, some number of months ago, Carita Collins of Neighborhood Fiber Company and Ann Weaver, the knitwear designer, who are friends, and amazing fiber artist people, (laughs) teamed up to create a new yarn company. And it's called Plied, P-L-I-E-D. And all of their colorways are marled. It's a two, I think it's a two-ply yarn. And it's fingering weight, and it's beautiful, and it's milled right here in Harrisville, New Hampshire. And it's coming to scratch. Yes, it's our... we're so excited. (laughs) I think it's going to be the next new line that we get in. Mm Mm-hmm. We're real excited about it. Yeah, they just sent us some samples. Okay. Can we talk about the bobbins? Yes. This is a little bit of an aside from the topic of marling in general, although it is marled. Mm-hmm. They make the most adorable little 30-yard long bobbin mm-hmm. lengths. Little boop of yarn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a boop. A boop. That's a technical term. Uh-huh. It's They're adorable. super cute. And I'm, I'm really excited to have it in the store. Yeah. Those great little bobbins are ideal for tiny pops of color. Maybe you are knitting something that's not marled, but maybe you want a little color work detail or a little pop of excitement. That's an exciting way to do it. They're also nice for mending. Like yes. You can pull out your little darning loom. We just did an episode on mending. And you can do your mending with cool little bursts of marled yarn and have a really neat visual effect there too. So, okay, can we talk about mending a little bit too? Because after we did our mending episode and we were like, yeah, we don't sell little bits of yarn. We walked out of here and we were like, but shouldn't we though? So we actually did just, (laughs) but maybe Mm -hmm. by the time this episode actually airs, some of the stuff will be in the store. We just ordered sashiko thread and needles and then some little mending wool that has nylon in it. I just always think it's interesting how 
like the things that we talk about on the podcast impact choices that we make in the store. I always find that interesting. Well, because we're here talking to the community and (laughs) trying to share information and then it makes us realize, huh, maybe we have a hole somewhere. (laughs) Let us correct that. Wouldn't it be great if people could get those things and then they don't have to see if they can cut three yards off of a a skein of yarn? Yeah, we've got it. We've got it covered. (laughs) But yeah, I'm really excited about the bobbins. I'm really excited about Plaid too. They have like gorgeous colorways and it's going to be a really, really nice addition to the it's store. It's a treat. It is a treat. Yeah, so marling is fun. Marling is easy. And marling is even easier if you find yarns that already exist in that state. Yeah, and my favorite thing to do with marled yarn is to use it as the contrast color in color work. Marled yarn isn't always the cheapest yarn because it does take a lot of work to produce. Oh, yeah, it's labor intensive. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes at like a, at a fiber festival, you can find yarn from a hand spinner who really should be charging more for their yarn than they are, right? And when that's not the case, usually marled yarn is relatively pricey, but you can work it in as the contrast color on your color work. It will give you kind of a lot of bang for your buck in terms of like the amount of shifting that's going to happen. And it's kind of doing the work for you in the same way that speckled yarn in like a stockinette, let's say in a flax, right? Mm-hmm. If you have like indie dyed speckled yarn, that indie dyed yarn is going to do the work of making what's really just a stockinette sweater very visually interesting. Mm-hmm. The marling is going to be visually interesting in a different way, but it's not any extra work. Right. I do want to hop in here and say I think that there are some marled yarns that are at like a more affordable price point. Oh, yeah. I think that we don't have them in the shop, but I think that like maybe Zauberball. Zauberball is crazy. I think they're called crazy. That's the name of the (laughs) yarn. I'm not. Right. We're not value judging. That's their. Yeah, yeah, that's what they call the yarn. (laughs) And then I also believe, and I could be wrong, so don't hold me to this, that Barocco was making color-shifting plied yarn. Oh, they were, weren't they? And I can't tell you what it is, but I bet if you just search for Barocco, you can see on their website what they have available and who their stockists are. Yeah. So there are some different, like, price points, more or less accessible yarns out there. We've recently started developing a relationship with a nonprofit that does work around, like, the fiber shed in the U.S. It's got me started thinking a lot about where yarn actually comes from. And Mm -hmm. as large sort of commercially milled yarn goes, to us, Barocco is relatively local. They're in Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. So just if you are listening to this and you are a Northeastern, North American person, they are a good, relatively local commercial line. Yep. They're nice too. They're super nice. (laughs) (laughs) So Marling, give it a try. Send us pictures of your Marled projects. Oh, please do. We love it. Hey, Jessica, what's on your needles right now? Sorrel. My summer sorrel. And that's kind of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, I have broken out of my funk a little bit. Like, I was feeling like, uh, knitting is so hard. For maybe a week, a week and a half, I was full of emotional struggle around my project. but. I feel better now. I think probably everybody figured out why we did an episode on creative burnout for last week, right? <laughs> we're so tired. We were we were in it. Yeah, but I'm making progress and I have 
hopes for other things coming up soon. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's on your needles, Karen? Oh, my barn heart. So I fully did not knit for an entire week between craft night last Thursday and craft night this most recent Thursday. I did not touch my knitting because it just felt like it was going to be endless forever. And then by the end of craft night this Thursday, I realized I'd actually knit my sleeves a little bit longer than they needed to be. So really? Yeah. So well, one of my sleeves. So now I just have (laughs) one more sleeve. (laughs) But I've been like, I've been on first sleeve doldrums and then I'm plugging away on my sorrel. I'm not making fantastic progress on that either, but I'm feeling the like the bug is coming back. I just, I needed a little. Everyone needs a break sometimes. It's okay. We get through it. (laughs) Hey, Jessica. Yes, Karen. Are you ready? Oh, no. Because I have a letter for you. Woo! You know what? After today, I'm ready for anything. So much struggle earlier today (laughs) trying to make recording even happen. I am ready to answer a letter. This letter comes to us from Meredith. Hey, Meredith. My question. I'm currently knitting the Monmonet sweater by Jana Haitala using La Bienamese Merino Erin, which is a superwash wool. I'm wondering what is the best method for weaving in my ends since the yarn won't felt to itself like non-superwash wool. That is such a good question. It is a good question. And I have answers for you. (laughs) That's good. This is good. Yeah. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came? (laughs) So I'm going to say these are the best methods, like loosely, because all knitters have their own preferences for how they like to do things. So there is no one correct way. There is the way that works for you at any given time. One way, I know that many knitters, and this is not my preference because I live in fear of this technique, and I don't usually feel like I'm afraid of anything with knitting, but it's the magic knot process of joining yarn. And it's because I doubt my own knot tying skills, (laughs) not because I don't think it works, because it does. But there is a technique, and you can look up YouTube videos on this. We'll We'll see if we can find one. Yep, we'll link it in the show notes. Where when you are joining two strands of yarn, you kind of lay them out on the table in front of you so that the ends extend beyond one another. And you will take the end of yarn A and tie like a little square knot around yarn B, and then do the same thing on the opposite side. So you have two little sliding square knots, and then you just pull the working yarn strands apart so those knots slide up against each other and are snug. You want to give it like a good tug so you know that they're not going to just fall apart. And when those knots are snugged up, you take your snips and you clip very close to the knot and you get rid of the tail. And you have a little bump in your yarn, but now you have one piece of yarn. So that is a technique that works, and many people like it. So you could try that. I would suggest trying it maybe in a swatch before a project, just to like get a feel for it and see if you like it. You might like it with certain yarn bases better than others, or certain yarn weights better than others, but it's worth a shot. What I like to do with my super wash yarn when I'm weaving in my ends is I leave a really long, longer than I kind of need, tail to weave in. 
and I take my darning needle and I kind of zigzag stitch it across the inside of my fabric. Or if I'm weaving in an end on a flat piece of fabric, like for a scarf or a shawl or something that doesn't have an inside, maybe there's a wrong side, like the back side of the fabric, but it's going to be visible at some point. I try to keep it near an edge and ideally not in the middle of a row. And I kind of zigzag it across for maybe an inch or two, and then I will shift that yarn up maybe a row or two and then go back in the direction I just came from. So my yarn goes across and it turns and it goes back in the direction it came from. So even if it does start to unweave and like back itself out a little bit, I'm not worried about it because it is woven in and out of the fabric, in and out of those stitches so many times it's pretty secure. If you're working with heavier weight yarn, maybe Aran, maybe bulky, heavier than that, and it's got multiple plies, Sometimes knitters will kind of pull those plies apart and weave them in individually so you don't get a big, bulky, funky spot. I think for superwash, so a sweater is really useful. For me, the trick with superwash is once you've done your weaving in, to still leave a tail, leave like a one-inch tail. Mm -hmm. Because that yarn is going to start to work its way out a little bit. And at least when that happens, The cut end doesn't poke out to the outside of your fabric. Where that fails to work is with something like a scarf. Mm -hmm. Because in that case, since the wrong side is visible, you probably don't want a one inch tail. And so you'll cut it pretty close and then eventually it will just poke its way out. And like, that's okay. You could trim it again at that point or just kind of let it live its life. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I like to do for flat fabric at the end of where I've woven in my tail, I will pick like a stitch or two. So like just a very small spot and I will stitch like whip stitch my yarn around one or two stitches. Think like to help visualize that, like sewing a button onto something where you're just going in and out of the same two holes over and over again. Like I'll do that quite a few times and then I just run my darning needle through the middle of it and clip it. So it's kind of tucked in there and secured. Okay. I know like Jessica had her striped flax knot fiasco. Oof. But here's the thing. You could tie a knot. You can do it. Tie a secure knot though. Yeah. Do a good job. Don't do a lazy (laughs) job like I did. Because if you do. So here's where the don't tie knots thing comes from. It comes from embroidery. It comes from embroidered garments. So if you picture like you're embroidering a gorgeous skirt or something, right? If you tie a knot in your embroidery thread, that is creating a bump in the back of your skirt, on the inside of your skirt that you could maybe feel or see from the outside. Hmm. Okay. Sure. Maybe, maybe you really never want to do that. Maybe you are like, you know, I just don't like that and I want to make sure it doesn't happen. Okay, fine. But it's not a prohibition because it's going to explode or catch fire. You know, like nothing actually bad is going to happen. The consequence of tying a knot is that maybe you'll be able to feel that there's a knot. Like, that's it. And maybe it unties itself if you do a bad job. That's an on (laughs) you. I've learned my lesson. Don't have lazy knot tying skills. I want to try that magic, the disappearing knot, the magic knot. Mm-hmm. I've done it a couple times. 
And I just feel like I'm holding my breath the whole time into it. <laughs> yeah, it's not my go-to technique, but I know a lot of people swear by it. So it's an option. Yeah. You might be one of them, Meredith. Can we talk about Indie Spotlight? I would love to talk about Indie Spotlight. Okay. What is going to happen at Indie Spotlight? A lot of cool stuff. <laughs> so... You may be aware that Scratch is sponsoring uh, the upcoming Indie Spotlight event, which is a virtual event from Indie Untangled. It's taking place May 14th, 15th, and 16th. And we are sponsoring two Indie Designer Spotlight panels, one on Saturday and one on Sunday. There's also a virtual marketplace of up-and-coming dyers and notion makers, excellent people in the industry. I think the criteria was that they started their business in 2019 or more recently, or they have 10,000 or fewer followers on Instagram. So they're still kind of like rising up and becoming established in the industry. So we're sponsoring this event, and one of the fun things that we get to do is host one of the Indie Spotlight lounges. So if you're registered for this event on Saturday at 3 p.m., if you join us in our lounge, we will be doing a Dear Scratch live. So <laughs> you can join us in the room and ask us questions through the chat function. You can also send us questions ahead of time either via DM on Instagram, or you can email those questions to dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com, and we will answer them live in the Zoom room, and we'll do as many of them as we can in our hour. If you're going to send them to us ahead of time, please send them before noon Eastern time on Saturday the 15th, because we'll have to like get those organized and get them figured out before we actually go live. So don't email us at like 2.50 and then Womp womp. And then we'll, yeah, like we'll <laughs> probably in that case just save it and do it as a, as an answer here instead. Mm -hmm. But we want to hear from you. We'll be talking about technique issues. We'll be talking about social etiquette issues. We'll be talking about anything you want to talk about. So let us know. Um, for the designer spotlight, mm -hmm. this episode goes up on Tuesday. I think the blog post will be up by then. I will link it in the show notes. I'm going to put up a blog post on our blog with just a little a little spotlight on each of the designers that is part of this. Because some of them, I mean, they've all done really neat stuff, but some of them are ones that you've maybe seen their designs. Some of them really aren't. And you should because they're great. Yeah, this is going to be an exciting event and we're really happy to be a part of it. Yeah. So we got involved with India Untangled, was it last year? Mm-hmm. And they always put on such good events, even virtual events. Yeah, the virtual events have been great. Yeah. I'll be a little sad when the when the virtual events don't happen anymore because we can do things in person. I wonder if they will continue, though, maybe, because they're kind of niche and fun, you know? <laughs> That's true. Can't travel every month, maybe, but you could do a virtual event. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Do we have any updates about the Sorrel Knit Along? We're still knitting. <laughs> Except for those of you who aren't because you already finished your sorrels and they're gorgeous. So many people have finished and they look amazing on everyone. Also, some of you are casting on second sorrels, which good for you. That's awesome. And some people cast on a first sorrel and they're like four rows into their first sorrel, which is also amazing. Mm -hmm. 
it's really exciting to see all of the different yarns that you're using. Some people are using speckles. I've seen variegated ones. I've seen really classic like woolly dyed in the wool sorrels. I've seen people like color blocking them in really interesting ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people who are taking the dip stitches and they're actually contrast colors to what the main body of the sorrel is. There's all, all sorts of really cool, cool stuff happening. Y'all are amazing. Yeah. So keep knitting and keep posting. And I think in next week's episode, we will update you with information about the Sorrel Soiree because we will be well into May by then. Yes. I mean, we're into May now, but, you know, <laughs> it'll be upon us. That's right. Mm -hmm. I think that might be it for us this week. It is. It's a miracle that this happened at all. Seriously. <laughs> Every now and then we talk about doing a Patreon. And I feel like just the video recording of us trying to solve a tech issue would be the thing that would need to go on our Patreon. Misadventures of Make Good Podcasts. <laughs> us, us being like, dunno, it's plugged in and nothing's happening. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Guess we're getting back in the car. Oh, we needed an SD card. Uh. <laughs> uh, womp womp. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, so thank you for joining us this week. I am really happy that this episode happened. Mm -hmm, same. Let's see. What do we want you to do? Subscribe to our podcast. Send you us can, emails. Yeah, send us emails. That email address again is dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com. Send us little notes on Instagram. You can follow us at makegoodpod. You can listen to us anywhere that you get podcasts. And rate and review us in those places because it helps other knitters find us. And that is awesome. And we appreciate you. Yeah. And those of you who have been sharing with your friends, we really appreciate it because we can see it happening and it's really exciting. I feel like we're fast approaching milestones and it's just exciting. Yeah. All right. We will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. We'll, no, we won't. No. We'll talk to you Saturday. If you come to Indie Spotlight, we'll talk to you Saturday. Yes. And if you don't come to Indie Spotlight... You have missed out, and then we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>